welcome back to Into the Light, A Different Life Story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today, I've got a fellow author with me uh, for an interview. It is Gloria Masters. Gloria has written a book that was uh, published this year, and I had the honor of reading it. And I would like to read you just a little bit of a quote from that. I believe that when neglect and abandonment are allowed to thrive, abuse will always find a home. It certainly had pride of place in ours and my childhood reflected that. I was wondering how I should start this interview because uh, this was probably the, the kindest and least in your face thing written in there because Gloria has lived a childhood that no child should ever have to go through. Yet here she is, a very successful woman who has conquered so much in her life. And now, in my opinion, one of her biggest achievements is actually to speak out about her past, about her youth, about, about things that are so brutal that, that I often, when I read her book, I, my eyes read it and I saw the lines and they came into my brain. And my brain said, nah, that can't be, nah, nah. I actually read several sentences twice to make sure that I actually get it. And unfortunately, I got it. So we are talking about sexual abuse. We're talking about physical abuse. We're talking about emotional abuse. And I want to, to, to spell that out very clearly. These are very traumatic things. And there's a damn good reason that you guys are probably listening to that and that you're watching this. So please, I'm already saying it from Gloria on my heart straight to you. There is hope, there is help out there. And please, if you're, if you're in danger, then please right now, stop this interview. Take, take the strength and the energy that we can send you right now and get onto the phone, get in touch with Women's Refuge, with a Salvation Army, with your GP, with an emergency department, anything like that, There, with the police. There is help out there. Please do not give up. And and make sure that you get the help that you deserve. And if any one of you is being triggered and emotions are coming back and memories are coming back from your own past, again, I sent you a huge hug and it is such a hard topic to talk about, but we must. Both Gloria and I have agreed we need to speak out. We need to be there to raise awareness. And Gloria, that is exactly what you have done with your book. So Gloria Masters, I'm so humbled that you are coming onto my show and that you're willing to discuss your life with me and in turn, give hope to those people out there who are listening. Hello, Gloria. Gloria is nodding. <laughs> I know, what can you say? I mean, for crying out loud, how do you talk about a childhood that is as brutal as yours? How, how long 
was the journey for you to come to the point that you were actually willing to talk about things and willing to actually write this book? There's so many questions and it is, it is, it is just so hard to start. How shall we start this here? How shall we talk about it? Well, I suppose really um, one of the questions you've already raised is um, how did you manage to be able to talk about it and why now, I guess, lies underneath all of that. And I think for me, Stefan, it's taken me over 30 years to be healed enough and hopeful enough to be able to talk about it, which is why I wrote the book. And you have got your book there. You might as well show it to us, please. It, oh. is, the most, it is the most beautiful book on angels' wings. And the book is, is shocking. It's crazy. I left a five-star review, and it is... It, filled me with disgust it filled me with so many visceral emotions it was no longer weird yet the title on angel's wings that is so misleading tell us the story behind the title that's a really good question actually um i think what happened was as i healed more and more i realized that my angels have always been around me and beside me. And so I could not be sitting in front of you today or indeed have even published this memoir had I not had that help and support. So I feel very blessed. I feel quite grateful, actually, that I've got that power around me and behind me. And indeed, at one stage in, in your life, there was a little angel, literally, there, yeah. uh, on top of the Christmas tree there. Uh, and there was nothing nice about that Christmas tree. Um, without... no. You know, the story has been written to not shock, actually, but to provide a window into what the human spirit can do to overcome and survive. I'm exposing this truth because it's time. It's time for this underbelly in New Zealand and across the world to be exposed. And you're absolutely right in your introduction, Stefan. No one wants to ever talk about this but if I could just point out to you, on the news currently, we have class action against Dilworth School because young boys were being abused by 11 teachers. We have adult survivors of sexual abuse at Lake Alice step forward. Wait until we see what emerges from Gloria Vale. Look at the expose on Centrepoint. All of this is coming to the fore, and I asked a good male friend of mine recently, Scott, why do people struggle with this 
so much. And he said, Gloria, it's because people are uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about this. But not wanting to talk about it doesn't help the people like me and potentially there's one in three adult survivors in our country today who have experienced some form of child sexual abuse. And I'm not talking women adult survivors, I'm talking men and women adult survivors. So my purpose actually is to help other people by shining light onto this darkness and giving them some hope and also encouraging them to hand the shame back to who it belongs, which is the perpetrators. And you've put it very, very well in your book, isn't it? The, the shame that that you take on, because it is not just sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is, of course, the, 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 the big, big, ah, awful thing, but it's that emotional abuse that is uh, guaranteed to go along with it. The objectification, the, 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 the change in the way that you were, um, that you were treated yourself. There was another quote here. Let me read that. A question I have been asked many times and which I've researched myself is why I didn't tell anyone, friends, safe adults, police, what was happening to me. As with everything in my life, the answer is shrouded in layer upon layer of complexity. Perhaps the most compelling reason was conditioning. Being designated from birth as a sex slave, one fit for purpose, meant I wasn't afforded a real identity. My perception mm. of myself was that I did not matter and held no value. As I wasn't valued by others, finding my own sense of self-worth to the point where I would finally proclaim the truth or seek help was unlikely. There you have nailed it. That is what, what emotional abuse does to a child. And of course, in, in turn, you have got all these emotions like shame and guilt that are basically pushed into that child. Uh, there's, there's virtually no other outcome in that child uh, than to, be, to feel these emotions. And it is so wonderful that you are saying, no, enough is enough. That is not true. This is not the truth. And that is what your book does. It turns the mirror around. It says, now, nah, here, look, this is you. And in your yes. case, you, you said that you said that over many, many years, you said it to a number of people. And it's interesting, the responses that you describe in your book. Well, I suppose there was never going to be an adult that would believe this for two reasons. One, it's so shocking. Two, an adult like my parents were invested in keeping the secret. So if you have a child in front of you and an adult in front of you, you will naturally look to the adult 
for truth. I have to tell you, Stefan, it's the same today. What I describe in my book did not just happen in the 60s and 70s. This goes on today. I know of family court lawyers, detectives in the sexual abuse units throughout New Zealand who have read the book and say to me, this is no surprise, we see it play out in the family courts. And I think it is such a brutal statistic, the one in three, that of adults who have experienced that abuse. So you could ask yourself, what could possibly stop that? Was 1980 the cutoff date? After 1980, no more abuse? Nope. Or what about 2000 or 2010? What about right now? Of course, that, that keeps going on because there are some nasty pieces of shit out there that should have never, ever been able to, to have children, yet they're there. Oh. And I keep talking about the incidences. If you think about the the, uh, the, inc the chance of you meeting a psychopath or a sociopath, one in 100, 1% in the population of psychopaths. And if you then look at personality disorders, and your, your parents were the, the classic narcissistic personality disorder uh, to the nth degree, and they were probably the 1% as well. Um, that's one in 10. So personality disorders roughly is one in 10. So there are a lot of nasty pieces of work out there. And it's quite nice to just say for me, yeah, okay, this is this personality disorder. Yeah, okay, there are the weirdos out there. But in some cases, the weirdo translates into a monster, a real yes. monster. Yes. And that is exactly and how you described your family, isn't it? Yeah. My father specifically, I had no value to him apart from a monetary gain. So if you think about classic narcissism, you are objectified. You're an object to that person because all you do is fulfill a need or reflect in their glory. And that is what I grew up with. So it's taken me 30 years of therapy and more probably to try and heal from this, look myself in the eye, hold my head up high and say, I'm okay. For me, it was hard to read the descriptions and I was often shocked to the yes. core. But and I knew you had not written the, the things. It was not in a sensational way that you wrote it. It was matter of fact. Yeah, I was raped here. I was gang raped there. I was sold here to that party. And yeah, there were, there were some other children there. And yeah, at one stage, when you grew a little bit older, as in 10, 12, you started trying to look after the other more little children there, which were abused, things like that. It was all matter of fact. That was your childhood. That was exactly what it was. You didn't didn't put lipstick on it. You didn't do anything with it. You just told calmly the fact. And I guess that was what was shocking me so much. 
the, the natural way with which you described deeds. Yeah. Oh. It is, it is, it's very hard for me. So, I mean, for crying out loud, how, how, how was it writing this book for you? Because when I wrote my book, Steps to Sobriety, I relived so many things. And it was very traumatic, actually, to write the book. And then yes. it's coming out now in its second edition. And my, my, my publisher is, has asked me, come on, I want to hear more from you. Stop hiding behind the quotes. Give me your, your truth. And there I was again, digging through a lot of things that were still very painful. I mean, is this, how long did it take you to write this book? It's taken me three years. And interestingly, I'd always known there was a book there. And I guess, again, my sole purpose is helping other people find their voice, mm -hmm. helping other people feel you are not alone. The shame never belonged to you. There is hope. And, you know, Stefan, I've been so lucky that people along this journey that have seen the book, even printed the book, worked on the book alongside me, have all had a story through someone they know. And this is how big this is out there. So I think, I think it's very humbling to realise that a little quiet whisper in my ear about, thank you for talking to me, I can now share what happened. That's that it touches me deeply. That's my purpose. Mm. And which is so beautiful because we all want our suffering to make sense to why, why keep all our suffering to ourselves. We have been so blessed because we have learned to heal, we have learned to love ourselves, yet there is all this trauma in the past. What was to happen if we were actually to open up and to be honest yes. and say, wow, this has happened. And maybe it we could- It took me until three years ago before I could hold my head up high and look people in the eye. Mm. And that was due to that global development conference I went on and I was asked to speak. And it was then when I spoke that the penny dropped or the realisation hit that actually, wow, people have got a story to tell. And one by one, people came up and shared hmm. what they had seen or experienced. And it showed me that actually this could be really helpful to people. So... Was it easy writing? No, it was awful. It was traumatic and the memories resurfaced. I didn't want them to, but I knew I had a higher purpose with this. So if I can give one person listening tonight some hope, that's that would be wonderful. And you describe it really beautifully in your book because 
it is essentially the first 16 years of your life you were a true sex yes. slave and you had no say you had no chance to get help whatsoever the moment you turned 16 uh, there was suddenly an element there where you could suddenly uh, remove yourself from things and over the next uh, five to ten years you made a point of disappearing out of that life you recreated a new life and you were able to compartmentalize and were pushing all these memories away, however traumatic they were, and you created your own life. You are a very successful woman right now. And that shows that the way that you were able to deal with, with the trauma by pushing it aside and focusing on new challenges and focusing mm -hmm. on, on creating a new you, literally like a phoenix out of the ashes you were able to actually literally burn the old you uh and get on with the new you which is something's very hard for many survivors to do where did you well, find I, that energy yes so to be perfectly honest it was dreadful I really, um, it's taken me decades to heal from this. So those first few decades between 16 and probably 40, no, no, I was not what I consider successful. I was still very much living, I had a duality of focus. I was so busy trying to bury and squash down the truth that I was this false person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. No, no, that's true. But you at least could put that focus in there. Now, you could, of course, argue that you did that in order to forget. You kept yourself so busy, so just focus on absolutely everything else than dealing with the past. Um, but to a certain degree, that allowed you to move on. That allowed you yes. to, to gain a financial freedom so that you could move forward, all these kind of things. And that is something that many survivors can't do, that they, they will never be able to move forward, at least up until this moment in time. Hopefully, we can explore some ways that they see, actually, if Gloria can do that with what she went through, maybe there is a way. And again, that's why we are here. So what gave you that strength? Was it trying to distract yourself? So what gave me the strength to... To, to go out into this world and become in your profession, become a successful woman. You might not call yourself successful because you had not dealt with the emotions and all that. That is what now the two of us would consider success. But let's say 10 years ago, um, it was more important that you were a businesswoman, that you were basically uh, a, um, that you were standing strong and bringing money in. So I suppose really that just comes down to uh, maybe resilience or attitude uh, about I can't change what's happened but I can always get up again and try harder so I think that's been a core part of who I am so even in those 16 years Stefan 
it was a nightmare, as you know, through reading the book. I'm not going to dumb it down or pretty it up. The fact is it's shocking. The reason I got through partly was because I would look up at the sky and I would see the clouds in the sky and I would make shapes in my mind with those clouds and I would go somewhere else. And for other survivors out there who are listening, we know this to be dissociation. We cannot stay living in our bodies while the horror unfolds. So we go somewhere else in our minds. And you were lucky because you learned that at a, a quite an early stage in your life. Uh, and, yes. and indeed, uh, in one uh, very early on, you described the angels that were flying yes. around you and that were there. And this was such a beautiful example of exactly that dissociation and your 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 faults. I know that that your that your family, despite all what has been going on, pretended to be very religious, and uh, there was a very Catholic kind of, of thing there. Do you think that the angels were part of of the Catholicism that was that was maintained or? put up as a mask or, or could you ever make sense out of the angels that that appear to you i never thought they were religious i don't embrace catholicism or any organized religion because i learned from a young age it didn't resonate with me because of the stark hypocrisy but I also didn't like to be told how to think. And the one thing I think that was really helpful for me was people could do whatever they wanted to me, but they actually couldn't touch my mind. And I was able to keep that as much as I could. I was able to keep that as a separate entity. And indeed, that was that was your, the younger you, sort of the the, the pre teenager you, I guess. Um, later on, you started smoking. You started uh, trying to act out. You tried to to steal money wherever you could and translated that directly into alcohol, into smoking, into things like that. So you actually started rebelling however much you could, which is such a logical thing. Did that continue later into your life? No, but what happened, the, the cost to me came through a different way and that the person I put on for everybody else, the false self, I began to identify more with that than who I really was. And that was the cost to me. That's what took me decades to heal. Like, who am I? Who was I in spite Sorry. of all of that? Yeah. So that was that mal maladaptation that really caused the most damage for me. And also never being able to talk about the abuse with my family mm. of origin because I was shut down um, you know, made out to be deluded, 
dishonest, a troublemaker, the black sheep. And for all of us adult survivors out there who dare to speak the truth, those are labels that are well known to us. And I, I think, yes, I, I, I believe that that is what keeps us quiet as well, that cements that, that compartmentalization, that narrative, that conditioning continues, Stefan. And how often do you hear that from uh, from survivors of an isolated sexual abuse, from a rape, um, who women or or men who try to speak out about it, and they hear no, our oh, rubbish, it's it's all in your head. Oh, come on, come on, no, and this no, this simple act of not believing what was being said is has been as dramatic as the rape for those people that I spoke to. And it is it is so bizarre. It is so crazy. But then again, we 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 all are pretending that we live this fantastic life. And uh, in the past it was the, the white picket fence and the manicured lawns and because everything looks nice, therefore it must also be nice inside my ass. And it's and nowadays it's it's the same thing with with social media. Everything on Facebook is is beautiful, beautiful, and we have no idea what the hell is happening behind closed doors. So, That's right. Uh, that is where we are again. Need to speak out, and I'm so pleased for your for your the power that you have found in addressing that you have published your book but you're not just sitting there with this book now nicely somewhere on a bookshelf no you actually are giving reportage you you're taking giving interviews like coming onto my show for which i'm so grateful to actually use the chance and 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 talk about it but you're also the the new zealand herald uh, is waiting to knock on the door television is waiting to knock on the door for you so these are all beautiful beautiful developments there yeah. do you yeah. you've mentioned already that it is a nice that is a nice feeling that when someone actually quietly comes to you and say thank you so much for speaking out it is as as if you were speaking out for me has there been a backlash? Has there been negative feedback? Have you become the target of, of trolling? It's such early days in terms of media exposure. I haven't. Um, I do have very protective friends who are concerned about what may happen in that space. Uh, to be honest, though, I'm, I'm speaking truth. So I don't want anything. I'm just sharing my truth and with purpose of helping other people. And if one person can find the courage to speak, then I think that's a, that's a gift. The, the other thing I guess I wanted to bring up was that sometimes we do this comparative uh, comparative sharing around abuse. And I, I just wanted to say, for one person as a child to have undergone one incident, whether it's feeling trapped, whether it's been full rape, whether it's been 
trafficked into a gang. Whatever that is, there is no greater trauma than that very first incident. And so for those people out there who think, oh, I never went through anything like Gloria did, know that the impact is the same. And there is no greater or no less, it just is. And I really want to convey that, Stefan, because the shame is there, the secrecy is there, the silence is there, and out of all of those, the shame takes the gold because it keeps us quiet and keeps us wrong and that is what the perpetrators work on as a child adults or your parents are god if they tell you to keep quiet or shut up or threaten you you will do exactly that but because children have an innate sense of what's right and what's wrong and what feels okay or not, they carry the shame. And that is what, as adult survivors of sexual abuse, we carry forward. And that is why we don't talk out. And so my, my purpose in life, I think, is to blow the lid off this and say, it's time. So true. And in all fairness, I mean, uh, when I talk about children of alcoholics, then I often use the word a silent generation, not the silent generation, those people born after the Second World War, where, where no one was really talking about the, the horrors of the war. I mean, the sheer fact that the child that is brought up in an, in an alcoholic environment, they never know if mommy and daddy are happy or if they're about to blow their lid or if they're, they're slapping them or if there might actually be, um, yeah, behavior that is not very nice. So what do children do? They shut up, they clam up, they try to please. They become this, these little people pleasers. And it is so harsh for me to see that, to, to consider that my two boys were in fact living exactly that life when I was drinking. They never knew if I was the, the happy daddy or if I was a very angry daddy because they were lazy little kids. Um, uh, it is what it is. But it is that's probably the biggest regret that I have got as far as my past is concerned. That's where my, my shame and guilt as an as an uh, functioning alcoholic, more or less functioning, uh, where which really still still is deep inside me. I still, I, I need to work a lot on that. But it's the same people pleasing that essentially you describe in your book. This this kind of trying to figure out how will I get the least whipping. How will I get the least um, pain during the rape? How will I get maybe not handed out to 20 other men? Um, and you were, you were trying to be at some stage more a mistress rather than this owned sex slave. And so this was one way where you found out, okay, that gives me less pain. Cool, there we are. So you're creating this this kind of new person. You behave so differently. There is no truth there. There's no real you there. But there is more this kind of 
manipulation of yourself. How long? I, I mean, there's, sorry, you you talk. Sorry, um, I, I think it comes down to basic survival. I have to keep breathing. I have to survive this. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. How can I survive? How can I get through not one day to another, but one hour to the next or one minute to the next? And, um, yeah. How long did that last? I mean, this is this is such an ingrained survival mechanism. This people pleasing. Did you find yourself that you kept going with that in your adult life? Absolutely, and that was, um, as I said earlier, I think that was one of the hardest things for me was realizing that I was saying yes, of course, but instinctively I was screaming, no, I don't want to. <laughs> So you talk about people-pleasing, and I, I, it's interesting because that's one aspect. As children, we take on a, a role within a family to survive. So I chose the carer role. Not every child chooses that. Uh, we, we take on roles suited to our personality or where we can best deflect the horror that's coming or save our brother or save our sister or whatever it happens to be. And people-pleasing is certainly one of them. But I think for me, in answer to your question, you know, I even have to be careful now that I don't catch myself saying yes when I mean no. It's all about boundaries because as adult survivors of child sexual abuse, what we have is a, a boundary was so badly broken in my experience or as a, an adult survivor of this child sexual abuse, it's, it's a boundary issue. So it's very hard to know what boundaries are okay when as a child they're completely torn apart. Gloria, can I ask you, I was a very angry man and full of resentment and full of anger about the things that had happened to me, that happened, the trauma that I experienced in my life. How was that for you when you were leaving your childhood, when you became a young adult and moving forward? Was there, was there anger, resentment? Were there feelings of seeking revenge? It manifested differently in me. I spent a lot of years hating my father until I realised one day that he didn't know that I hated him and it was only hurting me. So I learned to move on from that. But it wasn't the anger that got me. It was the lack of self-esteem. Because I'd never been valued, what rose up in me was no self-worth. No doubt you would have met quite a few people in your journey now where you know that they have been abused. And indeed, your, your, yes. your sisters and, and, and your, your family was abused. Do you, 
when you meet such a person there and hear a story, do you get angry about that? Do you do you want to jump into no, action? I I would like to support and stand beside people who struggle. Revenge and hatred doesn't work. Allowing people to release what they've been holding on to does. And when they realise they're not alone or that actually by sharing their story, they may feel some relief, that's that's the, the aim. So I never felt, it's only been in the last few years that I have managed to find the anger and feel it. I buried it very deeply. Do you, does anger play a role in other parts of your life? For example, how are you when you're driving uh, and someone does really not use the indicator and really slows you down and really drives 40 in the 70 zone and then 70 in the 50 zone uh, in front of you? Does that trigger you in any way? Yeah, it used to, but I'm I'm a lot calmer now. And I think two things that really help me are meditation every day and physical exercise, which I should do more of. But I think what I've learned <laughs> to do is integrate because if you think about it, I was so disintegrated. There were parts of my personality all over the show because I didn't know who I was. Remember, I had no value. And so to suddenly find that for myself where I would have my own back or stand up for myself or find my voice was very, very unlikely. Takes a long time to heal from this, a long time. And indeed, years and years, and so many people do lose themselves. Uh, that, of course, means that at one stage, they were someone. But as you have quite rightly said, you were a toy. You were a slave. You had nothing. Yeah. You were no personality. Yet this personality has developed in such a beautiful way because you took the, the choice to act. You, you actually took action and moved forward. When did you start seeing counselors or mental health professionals to help you? Oh, in my, in my 30s, in my right. um, Mid early early mid thirties. Wow! So and basically, I've been doing that on and off since. And that's so beautiful. That's absolutely so beautiful. And I guess I wanna I wanna do a big shout out for all the the unsung heroes out there, the counselors, the life coaches, the psychologists. There are so many beautiful beautiful people out there, and. Uh, please, guys, if you imagine, can you imagine any Olympic athlete that hasn't got a performance coach? Nah. What about a CEO of a top uh, Fortune 500 company? Do you think they have got performance coaches? Shit, yeah. 
Of course, they all have. But here we are going through sometimes horrendous things. And we are just kind of, no, I'm strong. I don't need to see anyone. I don't need to talk about anything. Bullshit, I'm strong. No, you're an idiot. You're an idiot yeah. because you haven't learned a lesson yet that actually talking about things and actually exploring emotions, especially the negative emotions, can be such a liberating and profoundly life-changing event. God! Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you, can you remember the first time you spoke about it to someone? Yes, I, I do remember. In my 30s, I did. And... Um, Yes, and, you know, people were shocked, but anyone that knows me knows I'm very truthful. And so they, of course, accepted it. But it was very, very hard and horrible times uncovering some of all of that. Um, and I don't want to make, I don't want to sugarcoat this, Stefan, and I certainly haven't in the book. And for those other survivors out there, you know, it takes a lot of courage to come to terms with that, let alone try and make sense of it, heal from it, and value yourself at the end of it. Mm. It's a big, big journey, and I don't necessarily think that in New Zealand we've got that quite right yet in terms of having the court system the legal system, um, you know, try and, and get this to where it should be. It's really very, very hard for survivors to speak up because, as you would have read in the book, the police told me they have yet to meet a pedophile who owns up. And So uh, we can't discount how hard this is and what a nightmare it is, but all I can say is there is hope. The shame never belonged to us, and, and you're not alone out there. The other very positive thing I would like to say about, about speaking out and about either writing things down on paper or speaking it out to someone who is listening to you with interest is that your mouth, your brain is actually forming words. And suddenly you are hearing or you're reading words and sentences that will make you think. And it is, I found that sometimes very strange when i started writing last month i had not a nice time uh with something started writing about it and suddenly it was like an out-of-body experience when i saw myself sort of writing and i started reading what i was writing and i thought where's that coming from and it was such a bizarre kind of thing where clearly there was something else going on than what i actually thought was happening so to actually talk about something to, to a life coach or to a psychologist can be so beautiful because they can feed back to you what you have been saying. More importantly, they can pick up on what you have not been saying. And therefore, it is such a beautiful two-way street. 
um, it is, guys out there, please do not think for a moment, ah, I don't need to see a psychologist or someone because that, that means that I'm broken and I'm not. Look how strong I am nowadays. And you take away such an opportunity uh, from yourself to grow and to to move forward. I think too, Stefan, that in the first instance, it doesn't even have to be a professional. It can just be someone that you trust or it can be a family member or it can be yeah. a best friend, you know, and it's just the initial cathartic release of saying the words out loud and knowing that you're believed is so powerful because of that conditioning and that shame mm. all those years ago. So, you know, one in three deserve recognition and support. You need to shine the light on this. And that is exactly what you're doing. Now that you've started the journey, it is, it's hard to stop. It is, you will take on speed. It's like, like being on skis and going down a mountain. There's initially you're sort of a bit sort of slow and then suddenly you find yourself and it becomes more natural and you go faster. So where is this slope leading you? Where is Gloria going? What do you envisage? Yes, I'm I'm hoping this alongside what's happening in our country in this space anyway, in, in terms of exposure and um, sheer numbers of people coming forward now. I'm really hoping that um, we can create um, some type of charity or organisation for people to be able to come to and get some help and just be supported and feel that they're not alone. And let's take the lid off this mm. and expose it. And that's, that's as simple as it is. How big it is is up to my angels. Where it goes is beyond <laughs> me. But I've opened <laughs> and um, I'm I'm so um, I'm so relieved I could finally find my voice. I'm so pleased I finally found my voice. Speaking of a voice, if you had the chance to send a message back to the younger you, what would you send back? You are amazing. Never give up. You're not alone. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. There is no doubt in my mind that you will rattle a lot of foundations. You're going to be an earthquake for many, many institutions out there. And probably quite rightly so, because as you say, there is an, a huge need out there with regards to mental health. There are people who are trying, but uh, ultimately it is, it seems like like a drop in the ocean. Um, there are there are 
institutions out there who unfortunately are funded through the public system or through our taxpayers' money, and there's never enough to go around, especially in a time like right now with COVID, etc. So our country is knee-deep in, in, in shit, as it is financially due to the implications of COVID and, and what has, has hit us. Yet it is exactly those circumstances that we only experienced for five weeks, this kind of locked in kind of thing. Can you imagine if you're actually an abused child or an abused woman or someone who is in trouble being actually locked in with, you, with the perpetrator, with the, the person who is abusing you? Now, that is, that is what we are seeing all around the world. Uh, the amount of suicides have gone up. The amount of deaths due to drugs, alcohol, et cetera, has gone dramatically up. Today's figures are 30% up in the United States with regards to opiate, or opiate overdoses, uh, which is due to a big, uh, to a big uh, degree uh, due to the COVID, to the isolation. And, uh, but also, of course, that, that people are trying to put fentanyl here and there and every other drug in order to get people more hooked. So it's, um, it's a multifactorial thing as always, but there's so much going on right now that we can't wait for the state, for our government to somehow come up with, I don't know, 100 million for each DHB area um, to actually put in uh, more support um, to suddenly give, I don't know, half a billion to ACC to do the sensitive claims to be more proactive and more supportive there. No, that won't happen. That will not happen. So where are we going here? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I totally agree with everything you were saying around this. But I also want to put forward that there's always money for rugby in this country. There's always <laughs> money for sailing in this country. And I'm not afraid to tap into our private sector yeah. for that. So, you know, this, this goes across all socioeconomic, cultural mm. groups. The We have, you know from political down, it doesn't matter what age, what race, what what um, sex you are, what gender you are, or how much you earn. There are people within our society who are active pedophiles and there are equally people in our society across all of those bands who are one in three. And so let's not limit ourselves to rely on the government when there is not much there. Um, I certainly won't be. Hmm. Just a uh, thought. Absolutely. And we need to be actually a little bit more wider in our definition, because if you say that there is one in three people have been abused, then there must be, for each of them, must there must be at least one facilitator, someone who knew what was happening, but kept their mouth shut. And that is the That's definition. Right. That is the big definition of evil. Those people that see what is wrong and don't, don't act and don't speak up. 
So therefore, if you were to say, well, it's one third being abused, there was another third of the population that actually facilitated it. And then there are then a smaller number who actually were the perpetrators. Well, in my maths, that is sort of like two thirds of the population. So hang on. So therefore, it must be a huge problem out there. And should we not put more resources into it? And should we not yeah. actually address that more? Now you, now, you are a strong woman. You are a businesswoman. And you are, we both are white. We both have, have been reasonably successful. So you could say, okay, this is all sort of white privilege. What would you say is the role of Evie and of Mari or Pacifica, um, of the traditional elders, to address these issues? Look, I I don't think we can define it down. I think it's like the P issue in our country. Mm -hmm. Their grandmothers walk doing marches across this country for P to save their beautiful moko. And I think we need to be aware that actually it's across all divides. I don't think it's a targeting thing. But I, I also believe that all it takes, and I put it on the back of my book, all it takes is one voice speaking out to save that child. And that's what we need to start doing is just being more aware. But equally, because of the shame attached there, it's hard for people to speak out. And, Stefan, for those that are abusers or know of abusers, your time will come. Because at the end of the day, it's not how you connect in with other people. You have to live with who you see in the mirror. And at some point, that may become too much. So I'm not afraid of fronting anybody on this issue at all. um, Because I think it's so big and, and let's try and help some others out there. So, yes, thank you. Gloria, you're uh, a force of nature. And I I am truly humbled that you shared your your voice with me here on my show. I can only strongly recommend you guys out there to read Gloria's book and to look in it. Show, Show us again. Come on. Show us the angel's wings. There you are. It is beautiful, an angel's wings. Uh, It's really a story about overcoming trauma. And it is a a book that quite rightly is out there to tell the truth and to hold the mirror in front of society and in front of of the people, the the churches, the, the the in your case the Catholic Church, but I dare to say, unfortunately, that is not just one denomination that can be blamed for that. I think that is, uh, and you know, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. It doesn't matter if you like the spaghetti monster. Uh, it is that doesn't protect you from from a monster in our midst that is abusing children so let's open our eyes let's be out there and let's let's talk let's talk and i think by talking by opening up you will find that you are not alone at all on the contrary 
you will find that people will say, me too, like this movement that has swept the, the, the nations and how beautiful it was. Yet the Me Too is sort of the, the sexual abuse of consenting or non-consenting people, adults kind of thing. What we are talking here is the complete abuse of trust uh, to with those little little munchkins that we should cherish and should love and, and hug. And yeah, instead other things are happening. So no. Guys, this was this was a a very strange interview for me. Strange in the sense that it is still so disturbing for me. It is still something that somehow my mind says, nah, that can't be happening. And here we are talking half of the population affected one way or the other. So it is utterly nuts. How can we live in such society? Uh, and how can we not try to make things better? Gloria is out there. She has gone out there. She's speaking up. You will see her on, on far more around, either through her book or maybe on a book tour, or maybe when you switch on the television, you think, huh, I know this woman. And there you go. <laughs> so wherever that leads us, maybe a symposium in, in due course here, maybe a, a tour of the country and, and speaking out, maybe creating a a meeting somewhere where one can bring the key stakeholders together and can say, well, actually, what can we do about it? Would that not be cool to actually have sort of, you know, a whole bunch of people coming together and trying to speak out and trying to, to move forward rather than leaving it in, in the hands of, mm -hmm. ah, this is now law enforcement, police, police, you must somehow sort that out. Or it's the courts. No, the courts must sort it out. There's probably not one group that can magically sort out a society. So it is communication. And that communication also includes those people who have suffered. Because it's those people who can bring in yeah. the true, the truth and can bring in such valuable information. And that's what we are here today for. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think just just two things as we're finishing, Stefan. One is for people listening or watching this tonight, you know someone. You know someone who is an adult survivor of child sexual abuse. You just may not know it yet. So let's, let's hold that. And the second thing is for people in New Zealand, if you want to have a look, it's it's on my website, glorymasters.com. For those in the States, as Stefan knows, it's on Amazon. In the UK, it's Book Depository. So it's out there globally. Um, but, yeah, let's keep talking. Indeed. But for us, mm. I think we have talked wonderfully enough i'm so humbled that you came onto my show thank you so much and i wish you all the energy and all the the meeting the right people to to become the mouthpieces for you to facilitate your your message being shouted from the root rooftops and only by by opening up about such mental health issues 
will we be able to maybe fix those broken young uh, adults, well, young adults, young children? Let's grab them as early as we can. And maybe even, even let's actually focus on creating strong children, which are much easier than to fix broken adults. Um, so if we can just work together, this would be so nice. So guys, don't give up, speak out, seek help, and live your life to the fullest. Gloria, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you. Cool. And you are, you are there. Look after yourself. Bye. <laughs> Bye.